Welcome to Grid Connections. I'm your host, Chase Drum. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how our electrical grid is becoming the intersection between the next generation of electric transportation, new digital technologies, and grid infrastructure. Join me in exploring these topics with experts and leaders across the grid. In this episode, we speak with Andrew Cornelia, the Chief of Staff at Volta and CFO of Young Professionals in Energy for the San Francisco Bay Area. Andrew started his career in finance and then pivoted upon the opportunity to work on Tesla's energy team. He eventually moved up to working on their supercharging team, where they leveraged the supercharger network as a marketing tool and the data it provided to find where new locations were needed most. Now at Volta, he is the bridge between the business, strategy, and finance executives as the chief of staff. In today's episode, we discuss Tesla's charging networks, misperceptions about charging technology, and how Volta Charging leverages data to choose where to install their next charging location. I'll give you a little bit of maybe my background, kind of leading up to where I am today and um, you know, how I got into energy, which was really a pretty serendipitous journey. Um, so I actually started my career as a, a banker and financial service guy, did that for about two years. And um, after, I think maybe, you know, three or four kind of software trite deals realized that, you know, banking wasn't for me and I, you know, didn't want to be in the kind of pinstripe suits and head back to New York, uh, which was kind of where my career was taking me. So, um, you know, I always had this connection to the larger idea that, uh, you could have profit with purpose. Um, and I was always a big outdoor guy. So started thinking to myself, you know, what could be a career that looks at the larger narrative of environmentalism, sustainability, uh, you know, this sort of big concept of how do you do business without just kind of profit in mind? And what would the overlap be with businesses that are looking at uh, kind of a larger uh, ecosystem and trying to shift this, this larger change? So um, Tesla kind of popped up for me as, you know, this, this one example, mobility was one of the larger contributors to carbon emissions. I looked at that space and said, that's a great Venn diagram, you know, transportation, tackling this larger problem. And here's this company, Tesla, that has a great vision, uh, you know, a crazy CEO, uh, and kind of the ambition to go out and solve the problem. Um, so I ended up at Tesla actually on the auto side. Um, I started there for about a year before I moved over to the energy world. Um, and for me, energy in the early days, which it used to be just stationary storage, was really this idea that, uh, you know, the cars were really cool, this great product, uh, you know, perfect product as Elon would call it, but, you know, energy would touch a lot more industries. It had, I think, in you know, my mind, this larger potential for impact. Um, so that's kind of how I moved over to the energy world, which back then was, like I said, really just a battery company. Um, you know, go that- well, yeah, I, I think what's really interesting is when you look at the framework at when it comes to a lot of the people who work at Tesla and then uh, Google and actually quite a few more tech focused companies, it is usually a much more engineer focused uh, kind of hiring group. And obviously yeah. finance does have some pretty interesting roles that that plays, especially around utilities and energy. But uh, are, are there some things that you can kind of share with how you were able to kind of step into that role with the finance background and really uh, bring some kind of unique insights to the team there? Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, the, the lens that I looked at, uh, you know, finance through at Tesla was actually a unique one. So 
Um, you know, Tesla runs their finance organization almost like an internal consulting arm for the business. And we were all this mix between uh, you know, ex-consultants, ex-bankers, ex-engineers who are wearing these sort of FP&A business operations hats. And the way that we would kind of run the business was you would pair one of us with the leader of a business to essentially create this sort of, uh, you know, marriage of, you know, separation of church and state. You had the business leader who said, you know, here's my strategy. Here's how I view my business vertical. And then you had finance who would come in and say, mm, I, don't, I don't see it that way. Let me push back in a healthy way. So, uh, you know, it was an interesting way, especially early in a career, to, you know, have that sort of opportunity to come into a business, partner with a business leader, um, and help them shape their P&L. Um, so, you know, the way that I kind of approach at least the energy side of the business, and to your point, you know, finance is a very complicated world when it comes to energy kind of systems, energy markets, uh, utilities, there's a lot of inside baseball kind of lingo. Um, but I approached it because I took over the, the charging business pretty early in my tenure on the, the energy finance team was through the lens of, uh, you know, standalone P&L. And actually that was, you know, one of my hunches way back when was that charging could be a business. Um, and that's kind of how I managed my, you know, three and a half year tenure, uh, you know, working on the charging side of the business at Tesla, which was, this is a great opportunity for Tesla. This has really helped them accelerate the EV adoption of vehicles. But what else can we do with this business arm? We have this massive network. We have this massive driver base. But how do we think about uh, top line revenue growth? How do we think about margin profiles? How do we think about new revenue line items other than just pay per use? Um, so it was kind of, you know, through that lens of how do you manage this as a standalone business that gave me a little bit of my early insight to the charging landscape. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you mentioned in our conversation previously was how really the rollout of these superchargers and kind of the, the galleries and the stores at first uh, by being in malls, that was all kind of part of Tesla's take on marketing and advertising. Can you kind of share a little bit more about how with the supercharger that was approached and how that really brought visibility pretty early on to the vehicles there? Yeah, for sure. So I remember actually one meeting with Elon where he asked this question, um, and I, I, I swear that this is, this is relatable. Um, he asked, you know, why do people buy cars? And it was like, you know, somewhat of a hypothetical question, but I think a few people tried to answer it. And he was like, nope, nope, nope. He's like, people buy cars because cars represent freedom. And that's a fundamentally important concept because Tesla was looking to build out a supercharger network, not because of the fundamental uh, kind of need, but more because of the desire and the want. And the want is related to really this sort of like social psychology and what people call range anxiety. It's the idea that, you know, by buying a car, I want the freedom to drive anywhere and I don't want to be stranded on the side of the road. The kind of want of that is very different than the need, which is, you know, the majority of our driving happens you know, within, I'd say five to 10 miles of our homes, you know, those sort of like trips to grandma, like, you know, grandma's one state away or to the, the mountain to go skiing, those happen, I think, few and far between. But that sort of, let's build the network so people have that sense of security. That was very much a marketing pitch for Tesla early in the days. Hey, you can drive across the country. And oh, by the way, we did it in one of our roadsters. How cool is that? Come buy our car. Yeah, and we're, we're looking at others. I mean, Volta obviously is a player in that space, but you look at like Electrify America, who's now just, uh, I think, 
I believe it's kind of through the South, but has now kind of made that continental travel possible. Is yeah. that, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Electri- Electrify America is an interesting example because I don't even consider them a company. I mean, they are, you know, a bailout fund uh, that is pretty inefficiently deploying capital. So, you know, I think they are a, um, a kind of product of still this sort of, you know, gas-like thinking versus electric vehicle thinking. And I can explain a little bit further on that. So, you know, today, and I think Supercharger Network is one example of this, and it's, it's one solution to the larger problem of how do you build infrastructure for electric mobility. And the answer isn't always going to be we, with DC fast, and it's not always going to be faster and bigger uh, is better. And Electrify America is kind of playing into that same hand that the Supercharger Network was building. And they're not doing it through the sort of uh, network intelligent uh, kind of design oriented way. I mean, one example is, you know, Electrify America's average utilization on a per month basis is like 15 to 20 charge sessions per day. We have that in two days on our sites. So, I mean, you know, their kind of deployment and efficiency in deployment of capital is abysmal. I mean, just kind of like, you know, straight down the pipe. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's definitely a similar view, I think, as Tesla. But again, Tesla is kind of, you know, branding it as a marketing arm of the business. EA is, uh, you know, trying to spend capital as quickly as they can because they have to. Gotcha. And then I know one of the other things you mentioned is looking at the data that kind of drives Volta's decisions compared to others. Is there any of that that you kind of, as you kind of progress your career from Tesla, that you you were able to really see pretty quickly how that is going to be the future of where electric vehicle charger is going to go in? It's not always, it's easy to kind of put along I-5 or these different interstates, but some of these kind of interesting uh, data points and maybe counterintuitive things that you've come across. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And I honestly think so, you know, I kind of went back to this idea that, uh, you know, during my tenure at Tesla, I was thinking about the supercharger business through this lens of, you know, the P&L and saying, you know, this could be a business on its own. Um, And that hunch actually brought me to Volta. And I'll kind of answer the data question, you know, in a long winded way. But, um, you know, Volta's approach to EV charging is unique. And it's this data driven approach that I think adds value to charging as a sustainable business model that kind of carries through all of the evolutions of EV adoption. So, you know, data is, uh, you know, a buzzword in, you know, Silicon Valley and everyone uses it when describing any sort of technology. It's data, the, data, the cloud, it's, it's that's data where all the money back. is. There's right? data ponds, there's data lakes, you know, there's yeah. data puddles, like however you want to describe it. Um, but really what we do with data is support our thesis on EV charging. And our thesis on EV charging uh, is really actually kind of uh, described with one question. And the question is, uh, you know, to be a EV, uh, to be a leading player in the EV charging market, there's really only question, one, one question that you have to answer. And that one question is, can EV charging sell spaghetti? Tell me more. <laughs> So, so I, I kind of, it sounds funny. It sounds somewhat non sequitur and non-related, but it's hugely related and it connects the data. So I'll tell you how. So right now, like I said, you know, everyone is building this sort of analogous offering to gas stations. Everyone is looking at fueling infrastructure as a transactional agreement between grid, 
network operator, an EV driver, and what they're transacting are electrons. And electrons fundamentally are pretty commoditized. There isn't a lot of value in selling electrons. However, if you look at large at this sort of larger infrastructure that exists that's being disrupted with fueling infrastructure moving from gas to electric, you see that there's about 400 to $500 billion per year spent on retail gas. That is the opportunity that is up for large and that is shifting as we move to electric mobility. However, only about half of that is related to retail gas sales. The other half is related to what people consider cokes and smokes. It's the convenience model. So there is a ton of value that is being left on the table by every other EV charging company. So the way that we think about data is we think about data that supports a business model that is based on monetizing behavior over electrons. And really what we're looking at is that there is a shift in behavior around this transition that will change how cities are designed. It will change where people go. It will change how electric uh, grids are built and planned for. It will change how commerce and retail are defined. And we're looking at creating an ecosystem, which is really that fueling infrastructure of the future, and using data to support this behavioral shift to show where value is, and using data to connect all of these disparate parties, one being EV drivers, another being site partners, another being our media partners, another being utility partners, and showing them that we deliver value. And data is, again, kind of the proof point of that. And that value we then can monetize. And that's really our business model. We monetize behavior over electrons. And that kind of answers this silly question of, you know, can EV charging sell spaghetti? Yes, because we can bring an EV driver to your store and then we can map that behavior from their visit to the store and then buying spaghetti and adding value to the bottom line of a Whole Foods. And that, that makes sense when you look at what the needs are of most drivers. I mean, it, it goes to sometimes the road trip example. Yep. But what I, what I would be interested in is, uh, especially when you kind of look at where people are actually charging and the, I think the big question people always have is they go back to this analogy of gas and they talk about the speed at which you charge. Yep. And what's kind of interesting when you look at Volta and even looking at Tesla, one of the big things they first announced was originally they talked about superchargers, but really what took off is their destination chargers, not nearly as fast, but they're places where they're convenient people start uh, or stop for an extended period so they can get what they need anyway. Is there kind of any of that inside of where those make more sense than the uh, high char uh, fast charging that you can kind of share with us? And that's what is also leading how uh, Volta approaches the speed of charging. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that comes down to the fundamental concept that in the future, you know, people will, they're not going to go out of their way to fuel, which is how we fuel today, right? I mean, a gas station is always, I mean, granted, they're on the corners, you know, in major intersection, but we have to stop our day to really go fuel. In the future, that will be kind of reversed. It will be, we are fueling where we're already going. So, you know, this idea of uh, you know, everything needs to be a supercharger. Everything needs to be 150 kilowatt power output to 250 kind of nameplate. Like it, it's silly because, you know, depending on where you're going, you may be there for a longer period of time. So if you're going, let's say to the movies, and I know that sounds kind of foreign these days, right? Like right. movies is like sitting on your couch and watching Netflix. Um, you know, you're going to plug your car in and you're going to be charging for two hours. 
if you have a 250 kilowatt or 150 kilowatt power DC fast, then you're essentially having your car sit there idle, not using the station for an hour and 20 minutes because you've charged already to the top in 40 minutes. So the way that we think about charging at Volt is, you know, charging uh, output, charging power, charging product really should match the sort of, uh, you know, behavior that you want to see at any given site. So if you're, you know, at a grocery store where, you know, your average shopping experience is 45 minutes, you should have a charging option that gives you kind of optimal charge and not usually 100%, but optimal charge for that time period. If you're at a coffee store, it should be 15 to 20 minutes. If you're at a movie theater, it should be your two hours. And I think, you know, there will always be a need for this sort of diversified asset portfolio where you do have kind of the higher power outputs because maybe you have a retail center that's close to the highway and you're pulling in traffic and you know they want to stop quickly to keep going on to their next destination but i think the idea of you know what is that ratio i think we have oversized our network to think that fast is the only solution and i think as we move into this world where people become more educated about uh ev charging and how to use electric vehicles, which is very much like your cell phone, right? You plug it in when there's available charging and you don't worry that your phone is gonna drain. Very rarely do you charge it from zero to 100 and you do that while you're sleeping. So I think, you know, as we move more towards this sort of electric uh, transportation uh, flip, people will have that knowledge and that idea that you don't need fast all the time will become more ubiquitous. Gotcha. And I, I think one of the things you did kind of mention was obviously the example of going to movie theaters and some of these things that are clearly being impacted. It's, it's short term, but yeah. things that are, uh, at least hopefully, but things that are being impacted by COVID. What, what, are there any sorts of interesting kind of trends that you've seen around that or any um, maybe hurdles that are kind of people are pushing back on seeing the long term value of investing in EV infrastructure right now? You know, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, placement. I mean, I think people, yes, immediately following, you know, kind of COVID, people drove their cars a little less because they weren't commuting to work. They weren't, you know, leaving their house as much. There were shelter in place provisions. You know, what we found was actually little impact to our network. Uh, we have a pretty robust network and we look to partner um, kind of across different portfolio verticals. So 80% of our locations were actually considered uh, you know, kind of close and close is actually 1300 feet to an essential service business. So there was actually very little impact when kind of the world shut down to our business model. Um, we saw, you know, some depression in charge levels just because again, some of those kind of people were staying home, but people still need to go to the grocery store. And if you're driving your electric vehicle, you still need a charge. Um, so, you know, our model is pretty resilient to that based on where we put our locations. I think longer term, your question on the investor side is a really interesting one. Um, I think if you look at the market, I mean, today, yesterday, the day before, it's like every headline is, you know, electric vehicle company gets multi-billions of dollars of investment, Rivian, uh, you know, SPAC supporting Fisker. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, it was Germany and France putting in these sort of, you know, federal mandates to support electrification. So I think there's actually, you know, this acceleration to uh, the transition that's happening right now. Um, and I'm super excited to see that. I mean, that supports Volta, but that also supports kind of, you know, the underlying mission that I support, which is this transition to electric mobility. Gotcha. And I mean, that does make sense because even with car sales in general, 
uh, everything's down, but it seems like just even globally, electric vehicles are kind of the one area that's not as down as much. <laughs> but yeah. Elon Musk is the seventh richest man in the world. Tesla's valued more than Exxon and Rivian, who hasn't sold a car yet or really have has <laughs> doesn't have any production vehicles on the line, just raised two and a half billion dollars. So um, yeah, it's an interesting time. Definitely. Uh, I mean, kind of going off of that, what, what are some of the, as you've seen going through this, that obviously Volta is growing, there's really kind of an interesting approach that they're taking compared to others. Can you share what are some of the traditional or some of the challenges that the traditional charging networks you already have, but anything else that's kind of worth noting and you've noticed in your career that the traditional charging networks are uh, kind of coming up against? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, EV charging is an interesting game. Um, you know, Tesla, the way that they've built their model, I mean, they're kind of building this completely new product, right? Like, yes, a car is a car. We understand it has four wheels and a steering wheel. And, you know, this is how it goes. You push down a pedal and it moves forward. But the way that they were designing it was completely different. You know, they were looking at, uh, you know, a completely different um, drivetrain, completely different technology for fueling, a completely different uh, design aesthetic and user interface and, you know, all the above kind of rethinking how a car worked, like this new technology. Um, charging is not really, you don't really need to um, kind of innovate that much on it. Yes, you can innovate to get higher power output and, you know, your charging equipment can look, you know, that much kind of sexier, but really it's about, you know, conduit that connects, you know, power, uh, you know, generating asset to transmission and distribution through a cord to a car and that's it. Really, I think, you know, fundamentally what kind of attracts me to the charging space is, it is that um, connective tissue between energy and vehicle and mobility. And it in involves kind of construction and these kind of small, uh, you know, scale projects that you need to manage across a whole network. So to do that, you know, it's not this sort of push a button, uh, download a software package and, you know, the product's ready or push something off a manufacturing line, it's there. It involves planning, it involves permitting, it involves installation, it involves uh, union labor, it involves putting shovels in the ground and digging dirt. So, you know, what I think is interesting with, uh, you know, kind of charging right now is, you know, it requires people to somewhat build ahead uh, and kind of, you know, arms race uh, towards this land grab mentality of how do we get the right locations? And again, there's different thoughts on what the right location is. But, you know, if people have kind of the same thesis or even if they don't, how do you go get the right locations today so that you have them tomorrow and you start building this network? In order to do that, um, and if you're doing that, you know, with invested capital, you know, you can't just sit on, you know, dollars without giving a dollar back or a dollar 25 back to your investor base. So how do you have a business model that really kind of monetizes over every single EV adoption phase uh, and continues to grow as the kind of EV adoption rates increase and as this sort of mobility or new mobility ecosystem evolves? And I think that's really what's interesting about Volta. And this is actually one of my earlier conversations with Scott, who was, is our co-founder and uh, CEO, was, you know, Volta's business model is just that. It was built to really understand how to monetize day one, where we are somewhat still in this trough of EV adoption rates. But then, like a flywheel or, you know, a compounding variable, like it grows and picks up speed as the market goes up to the right. 
Um, so that's where I think there's this sort of like interesting dynamic at play. And with that, where, I mean, it, it is kind of interesting because in concept, people always see like, okay, all you're doing is taking the energy from the grid, putting in an electric vehicle. Seems yeah. straightforward enough. And, but, but you did kind of hit some of the challenges that I don't think people fully always realize how sensitive they can be, especially around permitting yeah. and all sorts of other kind of fun and un <laughs> underrated challenges that you run into. Are, are there any areas that given the locations that Volta chooses because of the data that you found kind of helps streamline that? Because it, it does seem to be usually in areas that already probably have a pretty high electrical uh, load, but at the same yep. time, since you're not doing as many fast charging stations, that might be able to help speed up that uh, process. Yeah, that's definitely uh, one way that we go faster is that we are not pulling in massive power draws. We're not having to drop uh, a transformer and you know pull in different uh, kind of utility connections. Um, so that helps for sure. Um, but I, I mean, you said it, right? Like, permitting so like if you could if you ask me like what my wish list uh, of you know what needs to change to really help accelerate the adoption of infrastructure for electric mobility you know some of the municipal kind of um, just general hurdles that you have to jump through I think this is with any construction project um, you know permitting is kind of a pain in the butt um, and you know it was less of a pain in the butt in California because you'd go into these uh, you know, conversations, and it could even be, you know, uh, just general education. So whether it be a site partner, whether it be a permitting official, whether it be, you know, someone else in the sort of like value chain, you know, people understand what electric mobility is, what EV charging is, but as you kind of work to these new markets, it becomes a little bit harder to get over some of those hurdles. Um, things are shifting, but that's definitely still, uh, you know, something that we talk about a lot in, internally. I mean, right now, would you say that is probably taking up the majority of the time is the permitting versus like trying to get any sort of other kind of construction or maybe even utility related uh, things set up? Yeah, I mean, that is definitely one of the larger uh, time sucks for the business is the permitting side is some of the sort of, uh, you know, pre-work to installation. Because once you start digging, it's a relatively easy construction job. For us, it's also, you know, we care a lot about that station placement, that, that siting. Um, and we really pride ourselves on the relationships that we've created with our larger portfolio companies. Um, so, you know, one of the kind of, uh, you know, things I mentioned was, you know, our somewhat resiliency to COVID in that we had so many of these essential service locations. You know, we have these larger MSAs, these larger portfolios with, you know, Walgreens and with Whole Foods and Brookfield. And, you know, if you look at kind of the grocery store network, you know, I, I can't mention all of them, but you know, kind of in conversation is upward of 60% of the total available market of all grocery stores. So, you know, not to say we have those installed, but, you know, we have MSAs or we're in conversation at the parent level with a lot of these conversations or with a lot of these companies, with a lot of these larger kind of holding organizations that have those locations. So that takes some time for us as well, because we are not in the game of let's go after the minnows. We care much more about building the long-term relationships with the parent companies with the REITs, uh, with the larger companies so that we can have that full banner. And with them, I mean, totally makes sense. With them, what, what are those kinds of conversations like? Is, is it kind of go back to what you were talking about earlier that EV charters sell spaghetti and they kind of get that? Or can these conversations kind of span the gamut of what really builds their interest in kind of committing to these projects? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a, a little bit of um, uh, all of the above. I mean, you know, the the pithy kind of can EV charging sell spaghetti is really important, and I'll come back to that. But really, I think you know, retail at large is changing, right? And you know, we're seeing that with COVID, and I think that's accelerating some of you know what's happening, and that uh, you know, much more retail is happening from your computer, from your couch, you know, shopping. Things are mostly pick up these days. Um, but before that shift, before the sort of like abrupt change, you know, it was really, uh, you know, retail was shifting away from brick and mortar and it was, uh, really kind of requiring more of this sort of amenity and service offering. It wasn't this sort of transactional, uh, just, uh, kind of purchase, right? Cause if you, if you yeah. need a pair of shoes, go on Amazon, buy your pair of shoes there, but you go to the Stanford shopping mall because it has a great outdoor space. You have your favorite coffee spot. You know, you can charge your car. So you have all these kind of amenities and services built in. So really, you know, part of the conversation with these site partners is thinking about uh, retail for the future. And it's built around that amenity offering. Um, and then it comes down to the conversation, which underpins our business model of, you know, if you are a equivalent grocery store, and now I'm going to use this as an example, and your grocery store is right across the street from each other. How do you pull traffic or wallet share from one place to the other? Is it because you have a better brand of Cheerios in the other place? Is it because you know, your bathrooms are cleaner? It's all based on kind of the offering and the service amenities. And that sort of ability to attract people into your location uh, is really important. And one of actually, like I think it was maybe six months ago, uh, maybe nine months ago at this point, Electric had written an article about Volta and one of our partnerships. And there was a quote in that that literally said by a woman that had been interviewed for this article that I love Volta. I decided to leave my, you know, X, Y, and Z grocery store and go to Whole Foods because Volta was there. And because we offer free charging, you know, that amenity is very valuable to people as they're going and kind of performing their shopping experience. Uh, so that is definitely something that we talk to our site hosts about. And that is a valuable amenity that pulls people in. And then also keeps them there, right? Because again, back to this idea that charging should match the desired, not necessarily uh, the exact uh, behavioral time that someone is in a store, but the desired time. If you can keep someone in a store five minutes longer, 10 minutes longer than they normally would have been, that equates to more wallet share, more basket size uplift. And that's valuable to a site host. Gotcha. And with uh, a lot of the examples you've shared are kind of like the retail spaces, which definitely makes sense. Are you seeing this from like maybe more traditional business parks or anything like that as well, where maybe they can just once again, just be uh, another advantage to essentially uh, a perk for working at a company, or is it much more around that kind of business model around like retail where there's a clear transactional uh, use case? No, I, I think, I mean, you're spot on, right? And, and that's a different vertical for sure. I mean, you have home, which is a vertical and, you know, people are tackling that you have a workplace and, you know, your office parks or kind of larger uh, uh, kind of like banks of charging units. And then you kind of have, you know, public retail. We're kind of squarely in that public retail yeah. space. Uh, not to say that we haven't talked about some of these other industries. We just think that the opportunity in the public space is really large. And that's kind of where we're focusing our game right now. Um, but this idea of, uh, office park or other semi-public charging becomes really interesting as more cars come on the road, as kind of the fleet uh, operations becomes more of a reality. Um, so it's definitely, there's an opportunity there. 
Yeah, and I, I totally get that. It seems more like the longer term play just because uh, for a lot of people who might not be able to buy EVs now, kind of down the road, the big thing not only becomes when you buy it, where can you charge it? And workplace charging is kind of a, a secondary issue if you live in an apartment or a condo where that's not a possibility. Yeah. And I mean, part of our business model, again, kind of, you know, as we think about it evolving over time is, you know, one of the ways that we monetize in the early days is with media assets on all of our locations. Um, you know, workplace is valuable in that it is that perk. It is something that, you know, maybe attracts or uh, retains an employee to a certain job. Um, but that sort of kind of semi private, semi public domain isn't as valuable to us because, you know, we don't have as much influence over behavior. I mean, it's great for, again, the, the Googles, Facebooks, Teslas of the world, because it is that sort of perk, but it's not great for kind of this ecosystem that we're trying to build. Right. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And going off that, I, you've shared kind of a lot about your background, your career in charging and what Volta does. Can you share a little bit more about your role specifically as chief of staff at Volta and maybe what your day-to-day looks like there? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's uh, an interesting role and it's defined, I think, differently depending on who you ask it, uh, you know, this chief of staff role across other organizations. Uh, my role in particular is really kind of an extension of our CEO. Um, and I help kind of fill bandwidth gaps or scope gaps that he may have. So, you know, I lean a lot on my finance background and operations background um, and help Scott, who is this visionary guy, uh, kind of translate his vision into execution. And we joke around that it's, you know, order from his chaos. Um, and he understands, you know, I, I mean, I say it like jokingly, like he understands exactly what's going to happen in the industry, his viewpoint on how the world changes and how electric mobility is going to be a large part of that. Like I'm on board, I'm sold. It's now, how do we take that and how do we boil it down into its manageable pieces? So that's kind of where I come in. Um, you know, I work within our C-suite and provide connective tissue between Scott and uh, Chris Wendell, who's our president, you know, work very closely with our CFO and our CRO uh, and help manage within that group. And then also play connective tissue down to the individual uh, team. So help kind of understand, you know, what's going on boots on the ground, both from the individual contributor level, all the way up to SVP, all the way back up to C-suite. Um, it's a balance, I would say, between half operational, half strategic advisor. Um, and as just kind of an example of a few things, you know, where I'm focusing these days, um, my time is mostly spent on our new financing round uh, as kind of like one major area right now. Uh, the other is really through kind of a corporate development lens of how do we think about diversified revenue streams and diversified partnership models. And then the third one is much more operational and it's looking more in-house and saying, as an organization, we're growing. How do we figure out what we want to focus on? So it's standing up our own version of kind of an OKR framework and making sure that we have the right goals and the right priorities and we have the right metrics and numbers and reporting to track that performance over time. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, that, that also kind of goes to your involvement kind of locally in the Bay Area with like the Young Professionals Energy. And can you share some of what that group is working on and kind of areas where there's overlap with that and kind of what you're trying to do in your own career and others down in the Bay Area? Yeah, I, the YPE, uh, Young Professionals in Energy, it's, uh, it's a national organization and there's chapters in you know, every major city. So there's one in New York, there's one in Houston, there's one in San Francisco, one in L.A., uh, it's definitely depends on where you are. The, the lean towards how you interpret energy might be a little different. So the Houston YPE is, uh, 
a little dirtier than the San Francisco YPE, if you ask me. Um, but it's great. So when I was joining uh, Tesla Energy, you know, energy is a hard world to break into. It seems like the people who know it know it really well. And the terminology um, and the markets and the dynamics, it's, it's confusing. So, you know, I reached out uh, to a buddy of mine back in the day who was going to a bunch of these YPE events and he had recommended that I kind of tag along. Um, and it opened my eyes to a whole new world uh, of industry verticals, uh, you know, business roles, because there's lawyers, there's bankers, there are investors, there are operational people, there are engineers, there are founders, et cetera, uh, as well as just general uh, ways to plug in. So YPE is a, you know, a, a young professional organization that focuses on content events as well as networking events. So about, you know, once uh, a month, twice a month, we host events, no longer kind of in-person social events, but we're starting to do some Zoom events. Uh, as well as content events that highlight different areas uh, of the marketplace. Um, so, you know, we did one on, uh, you know, kind of the impact from COVID on energy markets. Uh, we've done, you know, past events with people like, uh, you know, um, Jigger Shaw, who's the founder and one of the managing directors of, um, uh, I'm blanking, um, uh, an investment firm in energy in the Bay Area. We've done one that's coming up actually with Dan Sugar, who's the founder of Next Tracker. So it's a bunch of these sort of educational networking events that highlight different areas of the energy industry. And I guess just out of curiosity, what, what is the best way for some to follow up and kind of learn more about it if they're interested in seeing if there's something locally or just uh, attending these events, I'm assuming virtually in the short term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people should definitely get involved. Um, I mean, more than uh, happy to have people reach out directly to me, but probably the best way to do it is go on our website, um, you know, YPE uh, Bay Area or, you know, Google search YPE San Francisco. And it's the first one that pops up. We actually spent some time to make sure that we were the first one to pop up. So um, we have a whole event calendar on there. I think the next event that we have is this conversation with Dan Sugar, uh, kind of a fireside chat from a CEO in the energy world. So um, should be a great opportunity. And then I know we have a few kind of uh, Zoom networking events uh, coming up as well. So well, that's great. I, I think what's kind of interesting, obviously, is, as you mentioned earlier, all of these different things really are intertwined and you kind of have to have a pretty strong base understanding of the different systems and what value that each needs to kind of first be met for other things to all start working together or at least get something rolling. Uh, and, and kind of speaking of those other systems, one of the things you also mentioned previously, I found really um, kind of fascinating is the work Volta is doing with utilities and kind of leveraging uh, the network tool that how you've kind of talked about not only your first party, but some third party information and kind of some of the things that have come out that can you elaborate a little bit more and share more of that information? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, one of our kind of underlying points of our business is this sort of data layer and, you know, Volta, <laughs> you know, kind of taking a step back, you know, we understand how the market is evolving. We do that with data. So data kind of shows us what the industry forecast looks like. It shows what the future demand will be from the EV driver standpoint. We also, because we have, other ways to monetize our network. And we don't believe in the sort of value that you know, electrons deliver in kind of the industry today. We have a free charging service. 
So we have a very pure understanding of EV driver demand. It really leads to having higher utilization. So we have one of the highest utilizations per port in the whole industry. And it really gives us that pure data lake of what is EV driver usage, demand, behavior look like today and you know, over the last 10 years that we've been doing this. That data is immensely valuable to utilities because utilities you know, are, and utility grid systems are really this sort of equation of supply equals demand, right? You know, they are always trying to balance what is the demand on the grid with what is our supply. And they have you know, kind of the base load, they have sort of intermediary loads, and then they have you know, peaker plants that go up and down to balance this. And they have smarter people than I am kind of regulating and trading in the future markets and complicated stuff but it's all supply equals demand in my simple mind. As kind of utilities think about planning for the future, and we're talking about you know, billions of dollars of capital deployment over the next you know, 10 years, they need to know what is supply and demand. So where we come in is this sort of understanding and this sort of uh, you know, expert on how EV driving has contributed to demand on the grid over time and how it will continue to contribute is what we've productized. And we've productized this in this really uh, slick tool called the network planning tool. Uh, and it was built by Praveen Mandal, who is actually the co-founder of ChargePoint and who is now our CTO. Um, so this idea that we have you know, a machine learning tool that kind of powers our machine intelligent network that we can then go out and productize and sell to utilities to help with their power planning is hugely valuable. So. We've partnered already with a few utilities, uh, some from our cap table, uh, and have had conversations with uh, a number of other ones, and are now talking to them about how we can help them figure out where to put their energy systems, their assets, their T&D, their transmission distribution, over time so that they're ready for this exponential curve in EV adoption rates. Um, and that's just our first customer. So you know, we see that this sort of data set, you know, understanding the mobility uh, kind of forecast, being able to scenario plan off of this, being able to report out on ESG stats and sort of macro stats around mobility is going to be hugely valuable. And it's going to be valuable for utilities, it's going to be valuable for uh, governments, municipalities, for OEMs, for fleets, for financial services. Um, so, you know, this sort of data approach, again, you know, it's, it's a buzzword, but it's very much a very important part of our business that we're starting to uh, productize and monetize in a very real way. And I think that's kind of what plugs into, as you mentioned, there's, there's also a third party thing to it. So people who are interested in this, it's not just Volta's data and what their uh, usage and they're, they're getting a much larger kind of spectrum of EV usage and kind of adoption across the country, yeah. correct? No, yeah, and that's a great point. So yeah, it is not just kind of our own first party data. We connect our first party data with third party data. And you know, the special sauce is kind of how we connect that stuff um, and the tool itself. But it is a, a larger reaching uh, view of mobility than just our network. Uh, so you know, we've been having some of these early conversations with investors and with some of these utility partners and we built this tool and it's, I mean, it's amazing. I, you know, the woman who's managing it, um, you know, worked at PGE for years and years and years. So understands the utility markets, uh, has done a great job standing up this tool and, you know, kind of early demos of what it looks like. Uh, and the output and product is super powerful. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we've talked a little bit now about the software side of ChargePoint. We, we've, 
I mean, I'm sorry, not ChargePoint, but obviously Volta. Yep. Uh, but uh, we've, we, we've kind of alluded to what the hardware is as well. Can, can you share a little bit more about that? I know it's primarily uh, level two, correct? And then there are kind of a handful of the DC fast chargers. Is there really kind of anything unique or special about the, on the hardware side of what Volta's are, are working on right now? So we do not build our own charging hardware. Um, we build the unit itself and it is a mix to your point of yeah. level two and DC fast. So we have a full suite of charging services. We also have what we call charging towers, which are really pedestals. So kind of non-media units. So as a site evolves over time and, you know, we're done putting media stations on a property, we also have that sort of, uh, you know, pedestal solution and it's, you know, analogous to kind of, a you know, the workplace charging where you have a bunch of pedestals stacked. Um, what is really interesting is, again, you know, we have one of the highest utilizations in the industry. Electrify America, you know, put stations in and they're used maybe once a day, half a time a day, you know, if you look at the math. Um, so what we've actually found is we are a great test case for how poor the hardware is in the EV charging world. It has not been built through a robust kind of QA, here's how you build a product that's gonna be used and abused and used and abused. Um, so what we're finding actually is there isn't really great EV charging hardware equipment out there uh, that can really stand up to the test of time. So <clears throat> we are assembling our product and that is something we're exploring as well. But um, the kind of nameplate is we offer level two DC fast. We offer again, again you know, what solution kind of fits the uh, the use case for our side partners. No, and I, I that's that's kind of exactly what I assume. I just want to clarify, and it makes sense because that's where I've really seen what you've positioned in our discussions is really on the software side. Yep. And it does kind of seem to be a bit of a, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think, I mean, you could use all sorts of like Android phone or mm -hmm. other analogies from other charging technologies yep. where it's not really uh, breakthrough it's just maybe something has a slightly better spec sheet but when you come to actual usage and impact for the average ev driver uh, it's kind of nil whereas seeing that yeah. higher uptime is really showing that these are being used yeah and i are so and it's interesting again like <clears throat> to look back kind of at you know tesla's model like you know elon was all about perfect product it was all about you know the car would speak for itself right he didn't do any advertising or any marketing because the car spoke for itself you push down the accelerator pedal and it goes faster than, you know, your 911, your 912, like done, I'm sold. That was like a product focused world. You have then the service focused world of, you know, an Airbnb or whoever it is who says, you know, our service offering is disruptive, but it's better than anyone else in the marketplace. Really the way that we look at kind of, you know, our unit is this sort of ecosystem. And it's interesting because, you know, hardware is kind of commoditized in our mind. Again, it, you know, we talked about it really just being the sort of conduit that connects yeah. grid system to car. Like, great, if you have an awesome you know, EV charging hardware product, we'll buy it, we'll use it, we'll tell you how to make it better. Um, we don't think there's a good business there. We also don't think there's a great business in just kind of this software piece as well. It's really about creating this ecosystem. The way I think about it, it's almost like we are this linchpin in uh, this ecosystem that if you pull this out, it would fall apart because what we do is we connect EV charging to the ability to sell spaghetti. Like how you do that any other way without Volta in this sort of model doesn't exist. So really the business model and how this business model evolves over the EV adoption curve 
is kind of what we consider the unit or the, uh, you know, kind of what we productize. And when people are kind of listening about uh, Volta and where they can find it, it sounds like probably the software package that you guys are presenting to the utilities might be on a national scale or maybe even nor- like most of North America or what, what is kind of the scale and where, where can people find uh, Volta chargers uh, at least in the U S or is there plans to kind of go beyond that currently? Yeah. I, so, I mean, step number one, download our app. Um, and you know, we have the full map uh, solution and it's a great map finder in terms of, you know, what stations are near you. Um, you know, our build out has been in most major cities. So San Francisco has a really big uh, network, LA, Boston, New York, uh, Dallas, Austin, Seattle, et cetera. And that's really our business model is kind of, you know, building in the intra-urban markets and building out a city and then expanding to the next one. So, excuse me, our growth is really focused on North America and the U.S. here at first. Uh, I mean, kind of, you know, the, the focus is hitting national network scale over the next year. And that's really where our growth trajectory is taking us. And that's really why we're kind of out to market right now is, building that national network. Um, so go to our app, go on our website, uh, you know, find one of our stations. And uh, if you don't have an electric car, then go buy one. Um, and then you want to- yeah. That yeah. might be better to do that <laughs> yeah. first before the app, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's a, <laughs> there are enough cars out there. Um, you know, we used to always joke, I mean, not joke, I mean, this is actually like a very serious point is, uh, you know, there are three things that need to happen for EV adoption to really take off. One is you need to build a sexy car. Like Tesla, check, has done that. Rivian, those are cool looking cars. You know, Bollinger, which is another kind of, you know, boxy looking EV cars. Like there's a, there are different takes on EV vehicles and they're, they're starting to look good. The other is, uh, you know, price parity. And it's not total cost of ownership price parity because that is a hard thing to sell to anyone. And if you're a car salesman, it's going to be even harder. Um, but total cost of ownership is nice. It's really purchase price parity on your kind of sticker price. And that's gonna happen within 36 months. And then the other one is charging infrastructure. So, you know, this EV adoption kind of flip, as I call it, is going to happen sooner than later. Uh, so if, you know, you don't have an EV vehicle today, you will have one, is essentially the yeah. just- Well, as people start uh, hopefully buying more EVs or if they already have them, one of the things that has really stood out is uh, obviously the functionality of charging apps has been huge for EV drivers in the past, but you are starting to see this trend. Um, obviously, Tesla offered it natively, Mercedes, and I believe even Rivian's kind of looking at in- including it directly into their infotainment. If, have you guys had any discussions around working with OEMs to kind of help build that in, or is it maybe too early to discuss that? Uh, I would say it's definitely part of the conversation. Um, and that is, I mean, if you look at Tesla, they're doing, you know, the vertically integrated solution where they're going to focus on building everything themselves. Other OEMs are not going that route, right? I mean, a lot of them are sort of laggards to this electrification. Others are similar to Tesla in that, you know, they're started from scratch, Rivian, uh, Lucid, uh, you know, Fisker, which is kind of a remake of, you know, an old company. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Polestar, which is kind of a hybrid, right? You know, part of, uh, you know, Volvo subsidiary, but, you know, kind of doing their own thing as well. Um, So there are going to be needs to integrate with OEMs. And it's looking, I mean, there's still this battle of, you know, what is the standard, uh, you know, both from kind of a a plug as well as from, you know, onboard integration. 
So that conversation is still ongoing, but there will be a need for OEMs to have these conversations with multiple EV charging operators. And we are actively involved in this. That, that's great to hear. Cause I, I think for me, that's been one of the big conversations around EVs is, uh, and it, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, just making a, the best product. And yeah. currently nowadays, when you're driving, you kind of have to figure out, I mean, it's not, to be honest, it's not that hard because there's so many gas stations, but you have to figure out where you're going to pull over to do it. Yeah. And I think that, situation that makes it better is if you're going on these longer road trips having that just kind of built in or if you're uh i mean it also becomes a thing even if you're not looking to really charge that much or whatever the case might be inherently something will stand out to people if they don't have to pay yeah and that is going to make them drive a little bit extra or go farther to have that interaction and be able to charge there um i realize since we're kind of coming up to near the end of it near the end of the hour here. I, I am a little curious also to just learn a bit more about, um, you, you've mentioned already areas around ways that maybe permitting can help. Are there any other kind of topics that in your experience could really help streamline the rollout of chargers, whether that be uh, government regulation, that be private industry, or just, just things that you've seen in your career, given that you've kind of worked not only for Tesla, but what you're seeing in your role at Volta to really help uh, grow chargers and just the EV uh, community in general? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the acceleration of uh, EV adoption and just the, the availability of EV options will accelerate the infrastructure world, right? It's, you know, this chicken and the egg that needs to kind of balance and you want infrastructure to be the leader to cars because it's supporting the base of cars that you're putting on the road, but it can't be too far out in front. So there is always this balance of, yes, you want to build infrastructure because the cars are coming, but like, when are the cars coming? And the cars are coming now. So I think, I think that will help. Um, and that is a kind of a trend that, you know, is controllable maybe, um, but it, it's kind of unfolding. I think another interesting one, we talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, kind of at the top of the hour was, you know, Electrify America is a federal bailout. Like, you know, they are, uh, you know, they have a couple billion dollars where they need to put capital in the ground and they're putting capital in the ground in a way that is maybe not the most efficient use of it. So, you know, if you look across the different industries, whether they be utilities with uh, make ready programs or, uh, rebate programs, if you look at, you know, federal uh, kind of incentives, uh, whether it be kind of tax credits or other programs, if you look at, uh, you know, OEMs and, you know, their uh, commitment to infrastructure investments, I think the question comes down to, uh, you know, where are you putting your capital in the most efficient way with the highest return potential? And what I mean by highest return potential is actually, what is the uh, what is the investment that will give you the most miles delivered per dollar invested? And that's where I think people need to really pay attention to the business models and the sort of, you know, thesis of how uh, EV charging evolves over time. Because again, if you go back to Electrify America, which they are just deploying capital and putting charging stations in because they have to, they're not really planning for this sort of EV adoption rate where utilization really matters. That I think is a huge component of all of this, right? Like we need to build networks intelligently and we need to build networks uh, to kind of use the Wayne Gretzky quote of, you know, build to where the puck is gonna be, not where the puck is today. 
And, and that's where I think that will really help uh, not only accelerate, but also make sure that we're building the right network for tomorrow. No, I, I think that's great to hear. And I, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I think the best way to measure it isn't, as you said, always about ROI. It's really about uptime. And it, it reminds me of like the aviation industry. Every time a plane's on the ground, it's losing money. Oh, for sure. And you want to you have it up in the air. And that, that's kind of been the thing I've seen with so many of these charging uh, infrastructure or charging uh, companies is they're doing really cool things. They're putting them in cool places or kind of making certain routes available. But if people aren't using them, okay, well, it's a lot of great marketing, a lot of money spent, but has that really accomplished the mission? For sure. So I think that's, that's huge. I mean, if we can have that uh, be the case, then uh, we'll have the network in place to support, you know, the cars that are going to be on the road, you know, sooner than later. Well, that's, I, I just want to say thank you for all this, Andrew. This has been super helpful and really interesting to hear about your backstory working with Tesla and what uh, Volta is currently working on. For those of who uh, are listening, what, what's the best way for people to kind of find out more about Volta and maybe explore having it at their locations? Yeah. So like I said, you know, definitely download the app Volta Charging in the app store and then, uh, you know, look at our website, voltacharging.com. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's... <laughs> To joke, you know, definitely, you know, go drive an electric vehicle. Uh, if you don't have one today, you know, go test drive a Model 3 and your world will be changed forever. Uh, and then once you have your Model 3, come charge at our station. <laughs> well, great. I think that gives people the right kind of homework that they should be working on. So yeah. I, I really appreciate your time today and learning about this. So we look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit our website, connectingthegrid.com. There you can listen to our podcasts, contact us about sponsorship, or even be a guest on Grid Connections. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your favorite podcast streaming service. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks again, and I look forward to us learning more together soon.